Hello and welcome to the Stretch Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be exploring professional coaching with Ted Campbell. While still a relatively young industry, professional or executive coaching has gained popularity in recent years, with business and people leaders recognizing the impact it can have on an individual's performance, as well as that of a wider business. But coaching can mean different things to different people. And that's where we start with today's guest. As former head of the Academy of Executive Coaching Scotland, Ted Campbell was responsible for the development and accreditation of professional coaches and has over 18 years experience as an executive coach himself running his company Executive 21. During our chat, Ted provides his definition of coaching, as well as sharing the philosophy he adopts when working with clients. We find out what it takes to be a credible coach and how important integrity is when creating an environment where your coachee feels comfortable to bring anything to the table. We will also look at how the coaching industry has evolved over the years, as well as how emerging technologies may play a part in its future. Whether you're new to coaching or an experienced coach yourself, you'll gain fantastic insight from one of the industry's most experienced practitioners. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and like on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy. What is coaching? Well, I think as a profession, we, we've struggled to get a good punchy definition. Um, but for me, it is a conversation with a purpose between a coach and a coachee. Now, that purpose typically means that the coach is there to enable the coachee to explore issues, to draw some conclusions, and to identify what they can try out to move things forward. So that's a it's a it's a it's my working definition yeah. um, that I use, and there's a couple of words in that that I think are relevant. Um, and the first one is is purpose. Okay. I think it's, it's really important for the coach to know what he or she is there to do. That's a really important one. Yeah. And, and the, the next bit that I would point out is, is enabling for the coach to have that understanding that they are there to enable. Yeah. Because that helps. If you've got that mindset, it helps in how you interact with your, um, with your client. There was also one at the end, which I think might be interesting, because what I said was for clients to identify what they can try out to move things forward. And I think why that's important is that even in a coaching session where somebody comes to a conclusion about what they might do, that may not be the right thing that will solve the problem they want to solve. Yeah. So my way of looking at it is, is what what can you try out? to see if that will move things forward and, and consider it as a an experiment. And again, that comes from, as you know, I'm informed by Gestalt. Yeah. And uh, so, so there's this whole thing about experimenting and, and learning is, for me, quite an integral part of the work. Great. And, and why do you, you said there as well, that as an industry, we've, we've struggled to define yeah. it fully. Why do you think that is, Ted? Um, 
I think that is because it is quite wide ranging, the, the work that when you're with a client, it can go in so many different ways. Mm. And to be able to put a, um, a precise definition on that when it can be so diverse yeah. has been quite, quite difficult. Um, and I think one of the things that the industry has tried to do way back was to try and get a, you know, a return on investment measure. And, and I was part of that. I did research on that and I've presented on that. Mm. But in reality, you know, when you look at a financial ROI, there were it was quite interesting. We were seeing measures of return on investment from, you know, five percent to hundreds of percent. And right. it really became quite a meaningless measure. Yeah. Uh, so I think at the moment, I think most people have moved away from a financial ROI to more of a qualitative improvement in performance. And, and, and whilst it's about purpose and experimentation, and I would like to ask you about the Gestalt stuff in, in, in a moment as well, just to, to bring that to life for, for our listeners. But what are the benefits then, you know, for somebody who, because coaching is a word that's used universally. If someone is listening to this thinking, well, it sounds like a good idea, what would what would you say the benefits are to somebody who undertakes professional executive coaching done in the right way, in the way you've described it? The, the benefit is, certainly from a client perspective, is that ability to have a, a safe space to think things through, mm. um, to challenge their own perceptions, and to hear maybe from the coach things that nobody else will will tell them, so mm. so that is, that is the essence of it. And it, I think it's important also for um, people who are thinking about embarking on maybe taking an executive coaching program that the executive coach isn't going to be there to tell them what to do. Yeah. But from my point of view, what uh, certainly the way I work is that uh, I, if I have, if I think I have something that I can offer, I will offer that as a possibility for that client. Yeah. But I will offer it in the spirit of it. It's a thought I have. It's an option. It may be full of holes for the client. It may not register. It may be rubbish for them. Mm. And I'm quite happy for them to tell me that. Yeah. And I see that as part of enabling as well, because I'm not I'm not being directive. Yes. I'm simply offering something for them to decide what they want to do with it. Yeah. And it's such a what I find when I'm because I work with managers as well to try and bring a level of coaching to their management practice. And of course, you know, a manager and a leader has to be directive from time to time. And then when they coach, they have to do the opposite. And I just find anybody coming to coaching for the first time finds that such a difficult gear shift to not tell. It's really interesting. And it's something I know I struggled with. And I think most people do when they're trying to take this seriously and professionally is to have a, how can you have a conversation with somebody for an hour, two hours and not tell them anything? It almost it's almost counter and it feels initially counterintuitive, but actually when you get it right, that idea of encouraging and it, sorry, enabling as you described it is that's when that starts out when you stop telling people and just ask questions, you know, that's the bit that's, I think, I don't know if you found this yourself, but I think that's a bit that people find most difficult. Do you mean the, from the client or the coach? Perspective? From the coach's point of view, actually. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Stephen. And I, yeah. 
<clears throat> I mean, from my own, I've come from a background, even, you know, from in, in school where you get validation from having the right answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, my background in corporate life was, again, validation from having the right solution, coming up with the right answer. Yeah. Uh, so I came into coaching with the my validation was giving the right answer yeah. and, and it, it it took me a long time to get my head around the fact that my validation should be almost the opposite so that the having the right answer is is counterproductive to my yeah. client making progress yeah and and you know it it still pops up from time to time that <laughs> uh, uh that it happens so yeah, and I think we're that it's our culture as well. Yeah, so uh, I agree. Some people, sorry. No, I was just going to say I was going to use the word culture as well. Actually, yeah. I think the culture in organisations, as you've as you've articulated, is just to, it, it's quicker to tell, it's quicker to validate, it's quicker to just go from A to B really quickly. Just do that thing and be directive, but it, it misses out so much of the the process of learning. For example, absolutely, and it's quite interesting. I had um, one client. Um, who his his total way of working was if something had to be done he would either do it himself or he would tell someone else to do it. Yeah. And in, in our work, I remember him saying, um, "Look, Ted, if it I can do this, if there's something to be done, I can do it in ten minutes. If I was to show or um, encourage someone else to do it, it's going to take me." An hour and a half, two hours. So the amount yeah. of I haven't I haven't got the time to do this. <laughs> yeah. And it's quite funny as we worked together and as he reflected himself on what he was there to do as a leader. Yeah. Then he wasn't there. He he wasn't doing his job because he was doing stuff that other people should have been doing. Yeah. So for him, purpose was also important. He was there to lead and to enable, and and he he made the shift. And it was, you know, he was then he was he was so pleased mm. that he could act as a leader, and he saw other people starting to grow, and, and he made a really fulfilling shift for him. Yeah. Um. So I think that's a really good example, you know, an, an yeah, extreme example yeah. of how you know we all of us have that tendency to just get it done. It's easier to do it yourself. Totally. And I think it's a, it's a classic transition, isn't it, for people who climb the ladder into most senior roles, just continue doing what they've always done and doing stuff when actually the, the role requires you to do less of that. It's, it's a really good example. And, and I think that's a re- there's, a, there's a very relevant point in there from a coaching perspective, Stephen, mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of when people get uh, promoted up the ladder, uh, they tend to just do more of... Um, what they did before yeah without having that pause time to reflect to say so what what does the new job that i'm here to do now mean for me what shift does it mean yeah and and is it, would it be useful if i have a, have a really good example of that that I, that I could share with you absolutely go for it um so i was um one plan i was brought in to coach he had been promoted from um uh, Head of a, a department, which or a, a big, quite a big department, was maybe about a thousand people, and his promotion meant that he had something like it was double the amount of people. So it was quite a big promotion. It was a, a 
promoted to director level. Now, this individual himself had a huge capacity for work. Mm. Um, just devoured work, loved it, had a great energy about doing it. So what happened was when he was promoted, he worked twice as hard and did twice as much work. Yeah. And, and part of his interview was that he would not do this. He would delegate and enable and empower others. And what was interesting that the because he couldn't make the shift, the organization actually demoted him. Right. Interesting. And brought someone else in to do his job, and he was then reporting to this new person. Yeah. So that was tough. So I worked with him through that, and he had a decision to make whether he just wanted to get out, I couldn't hack this, mm. or whether he would really reflect on his ability to change. Unfortunately, the person who did come in was a really good leader himself, and uh, he was really supportive in creating a context for my client to yeah. grow as a leader rather than a functional doer. Yeah. And this guy made the shift. Right. And I, I'm, it was really fantastic to see him make that transition. And yeah. he, 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 and he then he was promoted again back into another role at a level that he had been the first time. Yeah. And has now gone on to become a, a a company director. So it's a lovely example, I think, yeah. of the need of to have time and space to make that shift. And and of course, it's not about the coach being fulfilled at the end of it. Ultimately, it's about the client being fulfilled. But you must you get a great sense of seeing somebody progress, and you've played a part in that, right? Yeah, I I think it is important, Stephen, about the coach being fulfilled and, mm. and validated because you know this is a partnership that should work for both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, what where I believe the importance is here is in in how as coaches we are validated. And I, the traps that I noticed that I had fallen into was, um, if I, and I'm sure you may have come across this yourself as well, but you know, if you're working with a client and you have this absolute magic solution that's forming in your head, you, you know <laughs> what's going to work. And, yeah. and you know, for me, it was like the kid in the classroom putting their hand up saying, I've got the answer, I've got the answer. <laughs> Yeah. And, and and I would be bursting to tell the answer. And when I would tell the answer, my client would say, my goodness, that's a fantastic solution. I, 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 I'll do that. I'll get, I can't wait to get on. <laughs> uh, so I felt validated. Wow. Um, mm. And as one of the the, the guys in, the, in our industry, I'm sure you're Marshall Goldsmith, I'm sure you've come across. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So what I, what I was doing, I was telling the client how smart I was. Yeah, and he was saying that's one of the things you do not do. So <laughs> validation then for me comes from my being robust enough to know that being enabling and holding the space yeah. and and asking the difficult questions and putting the emphasis on where the what the client's thinking is is that is where I have shifted to get my validation from. So yeah. it's, it's, and that's important to me that I'm, I am getting my fulfillment from, from the work. So it's not just the client getting fulfilled. I need to get fulfilled as well. And it's the, it's the, it's a positive challenge, isn't it? It's yes. a challenge, but it's done for the right reasons. It's yes. not to, it's not to put, apply pressure. It's, 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 it's not to identify weakness 
it's just to make people better but, but people we, we all require equal amounts of support and challenge you know if you have all support all the time then the, your, your work life or the way you do things just becomes cozy it can be a bit stifling can't it if it's all support Absolutely. all the time and equally if it's all challenge then that's you know that's not a good environment to be in um because it can be pressure and aggression and all that sort of stuff but you've got to have the, the coach has got to have that balance and i'm going to ask you in a minute about what else you think an executive coach has to bring but um i think for me that's support i know support and challenge is talked about a lot and it's you know been written about a lot but it, for me that's something i always comes back to it's got to be both of those things for it to be effective yeah and i would agree with that um and i think as well what yeah, so there's there is a zone of productivity that the client ideally should be in, which is, you know, along with what you're saying, not not overly challenging, but not yeah. cozy. So there's that edge. Yeah. And what I try to say to my clients is that you know, I won't know whether you're in that zone or not. So yeah. tell me, yeah. you know, are you in that zone or is it too cozy or is it too challenging? Because it, it's very, very hard. For, I mean, the coach won't know unless they can, unless they're told. So I find it useful just to ask. So what else then? Just to come back to, to to the question I alluded to a minute ago, what else do you think it takes for someone to be really effective as an executive coach? You know, we've got the the, the sort of the stuff we've mentioned already, but what else? Um, I think to be effective as an executive coach, the starting point is getting the basics right, which you would say for any for any coach. I think over over and above that, um, I feel it's useful to be able to very to tune quite quickly into the client's world of work. Right. Um, I think that's quite useful. I also think it's very useful to be able to work holistically. Um, so you're working with personal issues, you're working with work issues, and that you're able to work at depth on any of the any of the presenting issues. I believe that's important. Okay. Just tell me uh, what you mean by working at depth, Ted, if you don't mind. By working at depth, I mean that you're you're hap- when when something comes up that a client might uh, talk about in terms of what what's how he's reacting to a particular em- employee, how he yeah. treats, or how maybe somebody is really winding him up. Yeah. Um, so that the coach is able to explore. What might be behind that? Oh, yeah. Um, also, things like if if I maybe if I take an example, um, you know, a client that I had was um, I'm just trying to remember the exact context, but uh, again, he was very achievement focused, very very task focused. Yeah. Uh, um, and to the extent that he, you know, he was always wanting to do more, and that was having an effect on his team because he was so task focused. Yeah. So we explored behind that, and um, the story that he told me that that uh, drove him to be like that was he said uh, his dad um, had when when he would come home with his school report, and he maybe got eighty percent in something. Or he got ninety percent in something. His dad would say, "Well, why? What happened? You didn't the other ten percent. Mm. So what did you do wrong?" <laughs> so, and he 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 started to tell me about you know how 
that that relationship with his dad was impacting him in the workplace yeah. so that he was constantly striving to, to get everything done, to get everything right as a result of, of what his father, the impact his father had had. Yeah. Now, at, at that point, you know, somebody listening might be thinking, well, that's going into therapy. Yeah. yeah. But actually, this is where a coach can work at depth but not go into therapy. So yeah. what, what I was doing in that situation was hearing, listening, and acknowledging the story that the client had. But I wasn't crossing a boundary to analyze it, to do anything from a therapeutic point of view. Yeah. But I was he- you know, hearing it and allowing him to express it. And by allowing him to express that um, background and emotion associated with it, because he did. In fact, that the, the client start, uh, broke down as he, as he talked about those times. Mm. So I, I'm able to work at that level. I'm able to accommodate and hold that space. And then, he, you know, he was able to move from there. He decided he would write a letter to his dad who had passed away. And, yeah, right. yeah. and, and so that, so that, so that, that freed him up. Mm. But I, but I was keeping the boundary, not in therapy. It was still coaching, but coaching at depth. Yeah. Does that does that give you a sense of? It, it, it totally does, Ted. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a really, a, a really great example again. Which thank you for sharing. But I think it touches on something that, that I think a lot of people might be apprehensive about. So yeah. about about having those conversations at that depth, because you know, unless you're experienced and skilled in it, or even just comfortable with having those conversations, and I, I don't think many people are. That's a sweeping generalization, but yeah. certainly in a work context, people just come in to just, you know, there's a lot of people who's come in, keep their head down, nine to five, you know, and it's just that thing. So to go to, to that depth and fear of somebody touching on something emotional or non-work related, there can be a bit of a fear factor. But actually, if that's the, if that's the blocker to somebody just, you know, performing at their best or fulfilling their potential or just being happier at work, that's a conversation that needs to happen somewhere. Absolutely, isn't it? and yeah. I believe that strongly. That uh, you know, to to be at your best as an executive coach, um, you have to have the the mental and the emotional robustness yeah. to accommodate pretty much anything that your client wants to bring to the table. Now, now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that say if a client uh, brings something to uh, a table to the table, for example, um, I had uh, a client who was telling me just recently about um, one of her team having um, suicidal thoughts, right. and you know, and, and and how she was dealing with that. Mm. Now, it would be outside my boundary to yeah. deal with that, but. What I was able to do was to, uh, you know, ask a few questions in terms of how she was handling that, and then, you know, point this manager in the right direction for uh, professional help and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And in fact, all this was happening. Yeah. But I was just checking out that that was in place, but I wasn't getting. I wasn't getting. You know, it was outside my my ability to do anything. Yeah. It wasn't part of the coaching program. Yeah. But 
but I suppose the, the, the point I'm making is that I do believe that an executive coach, to be really, if when you're at your best, the client can bring anything to the table. Yeah. Hi everyone, Stephen Brown here, host of The Stretch Podcast. Just a quick break from this great episode with Ted Campbell exploring professional coaching. We hope you're enjoying it. Um, This is the penultimate episode of season one. So just a quick reminder for those who may not have seen some of the earlier episodes that we've done. We've had some wonderful guests, so please check them out. Coming up in our season finale, we are very lucky to have some time with Professor Damien Hughes. So please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and any likes and shares would be greatly appreciated. Let's get back to Ted. You were asking about... What what else does it take to be a good executive coach? And, and I think there's one thing which um, I would like to add to that, and that is, as an executive coach, it is almost your remit to be able to say things to the client or bring things up that no one else can do. Right. Interesting. So, um, so f- for example... Um, and clients, in fact, will say they will say this. I'm sure to you, as they do to me. They said, "You know, I couldn't have had that conversation with anybody at work, or anybody mm. at home, or with my partner. Mm. You're the only the only one that I've, I could have had that conversation with." So, yeah. so let let me give you an example of that. Um, I had a client who. Um, she she said she really talked at at me a lot and, and I was getting irritated really by you know this constant chatter towards me. <laughs> um, so what I was able to do was to at, at one point when I got a, a sort of a few second break in the in the conversation <laughs> was to say, you know, I I feel you're my, the way I'm experiencing you today is that you you seem to be talking at me, and there's there's so much. I, I'm just lost. I I I can't follow the threads. I'm I'm really quite lost. Yeah. And I'm also wondering, do other people outside experience you like that? Mm. So, you know, you could imagine if that person's partner had said, you're talking too much, or one of, <laughs> one of his colleagues had said something like that. Yeah. It, it, so, so I was in a, in, a, in a situation where I was able to say that, I was able to say it was my experience, and I was able to offer it in the spirit of enabling that person to, to be more aware of themselves. Yeah. And, you know, it's... And I think this is this is something um, I feel is really important about being an executive coach, is is being able to to speak and to say what you believe needs to be said, and 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 that can be um, that takes mental and emotional robustness because if you're sitting there with someone who's uh, a chief executive or a very senior executive, you can feel that there's a power imbalance. That you know you're this this coaching person, and this is the head of a huge organisation with loads of power. Mm. So there's something about 
being able to um, balance that power between you and the client. Yeah. And, and, and a final thing I just want, I want to add to this is that I, 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 and again, this has come through my supervision where that has really helped me, uh, is if, if you have that belief that something you really need to say to this client, um, to have the uh, attitude that because this is so important, I'm prepared for this client to fire me as their coach. Mm. Yeah. But it needs to be said. Yeah. Uh, and I have done, I have had that experience myself where my supervisor <clears throat> said to me, Are you prepared to be fired by your client if mm. you say this? And that was a great question for me because I said, Yes, I'm prepared to be fired because mm -hmm. this is what I'm here to do. Yeah. So there's, there's, I don't, I'm sort of feel I'm bringing there's this emotional and, and mental robustness. There's that being able to, to validate yourself in terms of what you're there to do. Yeah. Uh, to that extent that, and I think it's a great question for coaches to ask: Am I prepared to be yeah. fired if I say this? That is a great question. It's quite a it's quite a sobering question. <laughs> it, it is a sobering question. Yeah. Um, but it, to me, it it is uh, if we are really adhering to the principles of what we are there to do mm. in the service of the client, then we have to have the the guts to say what needs to be said. Yeah. Um, and that's not not always easy. Uh, for me, sometimes I haven't done it early enough. Yeah. I have I have tried to figure things out. You know, I think what 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 have I what am I not doing well? Yeah. But ultimately it's it's saying what needs to be said. Mm. And and something I've I've taken from, from everything you've just said as well, which I think is it might be important to mention and get your view on, is just just your ability to be able to build to build a great relationship really quickly because you've, you've just you know you've articulated there a coach occupying a very almost sacred space yeah. between loved ones and people yes. you know people people's life partners and all that yes. sort of stuff and colleagues who they've probably known for a number of years and suddenly you're there yeah as a stranger yeah so your ability to be able to to get somebody to open up and to trust you to do that, actually, it, it's it's almost a thread. I think is what I took from what you said there that runs through all of that. Because if if not, if there's no trust there, no relationship built really quickly, you'll you'll not get all of that stuff. That you've Stephen, that's so important. It's just, mm. it's a when I share with clients how I work, the first thing and the foundation is our relationship to be one of trust. Mm. Um, and I think I don't think building a relationship of trust is something you can do artificially. There is no. there is something in you know in us as people that that the kind of the, the magic of trust happens mm -hmm. quickly, and I I can't really put my finger on that, but um, I think in, integrity is probably the thing that I'm imagining that clients uh, connect with 
Yeah. Because we do, we do as coaches, we build that relationship very, very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I totally with you in terms of the relationship being yeah. the foundation. And and I do, I, I say to clients, the, the intention of us having this good, trusting working relationship is that we can say anything to each other because we're doing it for the right reason. And you can bring anything to the table. And for me, equally, I want to be able to say to you what I think, or what I feel, or, and it will be in the service of your, your progress. So just to change tack slightly then, Ted, thank you for that. What What is it the challenge, out of all the things I guess we've talked about, or it might be something different, what is it that challenges you most? You know, 15 years on in your co- executive coaching career, what's the stuff that still provides the biggest challenge for you when you're coaching? I think it's almost what what I was talking about just a few moments ago. If if there is something in the work that I'm doing with a client that that's bothering me or okay. troubling me, yeah. or I can't put my finger on it, uh, I I tend to think I wonder what what I need to be doing better. Yeah. But I I I would I would always wanting to get better at seeing what is happening in that dynamic. Yeah. that I can then bring into the relationship because typically it's not all about me. It's typically what's happening between us. Yeah. And and I that is one of the things I'd like to to do earlier. Yeah. And I had that feedback from clients. They they valued it at the time. But they said, I just you know, it would have been better if you had done that sooner. Yeah. That's great. And you you mentioned supervision before as well, which we should say for those who aren't who aren't familiar that's that's a coach seeking coaching isn't it really i mean I'm, i hope i'm not putting that in, in the wrong terms that's my that's my kind of view of it it's it's the coach's ability to go and talk to a like-minded person about the coaching that you're doing and and be coached essentially for your development to ensure that your coaching practice is still on on track and where it should be and then and again like the question you gave before to ask you the hard questions yes Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've I've uh, had. Yeah, I think it's a good point to to consider to, to share what supervision is. Mm. Um, and I think those who in that world consider supervision as the, the super being the over and the vision being the view, so they're yeah. someone who can take an overview of our practice. Yeah. Um, supervision also has a connotation that it's. Um, big brother yeah. uh, sort of assessing you yeah. but in reality uh, it it's of course more along the lines that you have suggested It for me it's someone that I can talk to to, um, to think things through because if I'm getting stuck with, yeah. with a client um, then I can think things through and get their perspective um, also checks the quality of my practice mm-hmm. um, because it, it feels like almost a quality assurance yeah. of my practice. And I think it's also it's um, because what I'm involved with at the moment is mentor supervision. Okay. And uh, you know, I think as coaches, sometimes you, you after a coaching session, you something maybe niggles you or bothers you or you didn't pick up or. And I think having someone who's a supervisor, that means you can kind of articulate that niggle or troubling thought to them. And it may be nothing, but it might be a spark for something else. If you don't have a supervisor, 
you kind of forget about it and it could be something that's lost. So I'm interested just to find out a little bit about how you ended up as an executive coach, mm-hmm. um, Ted, if that's okay. So, I mean, you, you spent 12 years as a senior exec- executive, didn't you, in the corporate yeah. world, Johnson yeah. & Johnson Corporation, yeah. I believe, yeah. uh, before making the switch to executive coach. So I guess my question is, how how did you make that transition? And I guess more importantly, why did you make that transition yeah. from senior executive into what you do now? Um, well, with my, my as, as a lot of large corporations, my role was made redundant. There was a requirement within Johnson & Johnson that um, their execs should do a lot of work internationally mm-hmm. and in uh, and really work around other countries around the world and it was a time in my life where I just that wasn't feasible for me yeah. so um, you know however it happened my role was made redundant so I didn't yeah. choose to leave yeah um, but I then moved and joined a consulting group as and part of what they did was leadership and executive mentoring okay so what what that did for me was to uh, I had it, it it allowed me to develop a real awareness of the impact that leaders can have not only on their own organisation but on their staff and on their families of their staff. So I just saw leaders having a huge huge impact around them. Yeah. Um, and and I thought well. If I could do, I find that I had a drive to to do something which would enable those leaders in as much as possible to make that impact positive on the world around them. Yeah. yeah. So, so that that was a drive for me, and the way that I thought I could do that best was through becoming an executive coach. Mm. Uh, I saw that as the route to doing it. Yeah. So that was my drive. It was a very genuine mm. drive of something I wanted to do. And executive coaching was the way that I thought I could. And it's, it's still, you know, almost 20 years on mm. that that uh, purpose or that drive is still the same. Yeah. And because and c- coaching, executive coaching rather, is still a fairly young industry, and presumably nearly twenty years ago, it was it was really in its infancy, I guess. So, how have you how have you seen it change then from when you started to to where we find ourselves now in twenty twenty? Yeah, um, I think there's been a number of things that I've seen change. Uh, the first one, you know, way back eighteen years ago or whatever it was, mm-hmm. there was still a connotation of it being a remedial intervention, right. and and uh, <laughs> now today that isn't even noticed that's really interesting yeah. yeah um also i think back back then the selection of coaches by organization was was pretty haphazard <laughs> uh <laughs> probably how i got in at that time <laughs> um and that has seen a huge shift now to organizations being much more savvy about their selection of executive coaches, so the need for accreditation, the need for experience, so that the rigor of that process and the knowledge of organizations in terms of what they're looking for has has significantly changed. Yeah. Um, what else I've uh, seen change? Well, there's there's um, there's some things which have obviously just recently come to my to mind, and that is um, 
you know, COVID has uh, essentially forced us all to move from face to face into to Zoom and yeah. uh, or Teams or whatever. Yeah. And I was amazed at how easy that transition was. So, so I think that's a, a big shift now that um, coaches are doing their work through through an online medium. Mm. And for me, that shift has meant that I think, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm now coaching clients in different parts of the world, right? Um, which is a opens up coaching a lot more, so that mm. as we all become uh, familiar with online technology. Yeah, that that is an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, there's there's so much being discussed quite rightly about work, the the changes to working practices, and you know there's a lot of people who are really for it working from home. There's a lot of people who would love to be back in the office and some people probably want to be somewhere in between and have a bit of a balance is probably, probably where we'll end up. But actually for the, for coaching, it does, you've made me think there that it just, just opened it up. It makes it so much yeah. more accessible. Yeah. Um, and cause you know, I guess before this, there was, you know, we used to talk about, you know, it's face to face, coaching face to face. You have to book a room, uh, and often we would we would travel to clients to go and then there's all the yeah. cost and expense and I guess the environmental impact if you want to go down that route um, or or a telephone call. It was almost like the video call was still, even though it's been around for a lot of years, it has forced people to really embrace this medium. And, and we're, we're talking today over Teams. I can see I can see your body language, your facial expressions, which obviously plays a massive part in having a conversation with someone. So it's a pretty good substitute in terms of being able to have a great conversation, but being able to open it up as you've done internationally, just for, as a profession makes it a really, a really useful thing, actually. Absolutely. And I mean, I've been kind of playing with, because something, some things you imagine you can, you can only do face to face. Like yeah. for example, asking a client to do a visualization or yeah. asking a, a client to speak to an empty chair or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, it's quite amazing you know how you can adapt or how clients can adapt to doing you know exercises just on yeah. on uh, on zoom or teams mm. um i think another th- a thing that i that is really um i have been really delighted to see is that there is a change um to provide executive type coaching to more people um right. and so I have had always um, I've had an interest in the in the care sector. I've done a, as you probably know I've been a coach for the NHS in, yeah. in Scotland and uh, but I've always had a real passion that this should happen in the care sector. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking a long time about how we can do this. But interestingly, recently um, or at the beginning of COVID, the Scottish government provided funding to the education department of the NHS. To provide um, so anyone in either the NHS or the care sector could access uh, either a one and a half hour coaching session or a three hour coaching program. Wow! And so that would be obviously all done online, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But what this meant was that anyone, absolutely anyone in the care sector or the NHS, it didn't matter what level, could yeah. access executive coaching yeah so for me that was a real delight and i now have a number of clients 
that I would never have had before. So, you know, I've got uh, I've got a care worker, I've got a, a social worker, I've got a physio team lead, someone who's head of learning disabilities, right. as well as a GP. Yeah. Um, but what this has done, it's brought it's brought coaching to a lot more people. Yeah. And, and when I see the benefits that these people are getting from just three hours, yeah. the contribution that that will make, that they will be able to make to their organization is quite significant. So as you can probably see, I'm really I'm so passionate that we, we make this available to a lot more people. So coaching at scale yeah. is uh, a, a, big, a big shift that I am seeing. Yeah, that's brilliant because it, it is. It seems to be, at least anyway, from what I've experienced, the preserve of senior executives and directors and all that sort of stuff. Because I guess if a, if a, an organize, if you're looking at it from the corporate world, it's quite an expense when you're looking at development per head. You know, that's how that's how these L and D departments work. They look at how yeah. much budget they've got and how yeah. much is per head, yeah. and to spend money on an hour and a half for one person suddenly <laughs> it oh. looks more expensive. So it tends to be the people at the top, but. You're absolutely right. This is something that should just be available to everybody absolutely. as often as possible. And I know um, some of the, the um, big coaching houses are trying to yeah. to do that quite a bit as well. Um, yeah. So I think some of the other the other shifts are, and this is obviously an ongoing one, is how you integrate technology more in terms of artificial intelligence, virtual reality. Mm. Um, I mean, that's obviously a, a, quite a big area at the moment as well and mm. um, there is a group called you may have come around the future of coaching group who okay. are who are looking uh, very much at how technology can enable coaching and it's a kind of you know our coaches are, is, are saying well you know is this the end of us as, as coaches <laughs> um, but yeah. in reality there will probably end up as something which is a hybrid where the coaches will use that technology to uh, to work with their clients. I mean, I don't know how that will pan out, but no. it's an interesting area, a very interesting area. It is. I, I wouldn't be too worried. I went on Curry's website the other day, and the chatbot was not very helpful <laughs> answering uh, who I should direct my call to. So I think we're safe for now anyway. Right. <laughs> very good. Tell us a bit about Gestalt. To okay. the new practice, if you wouldn't mind, because we mentioned that yeah. earlier, and it'd be useful for people to understand what that is. Yeah, um, Gestalt is a, <clears throat> it obviously originated from um, a psychotherapy background way back, but what it what it is now, I think, in terms of a coach, it is being very attend. So I would probably say there's just there's two aspects of it that I would maybe draw out. Mm. Uh, and one is it's being very focused on the present very focused on what's happening now between uh, myself and the coachee because that, that what's happening in the present is an indicator of what's happening in the outside world what's happening between me and my client is an indicator of what's happening in the outside world so if we bring awareness to what's happening between us, then that increase in awareness is something that the, the client can use 
to make change. Now, the the thing about Gestalt, which uh, sounds counterintuitive, is that change can happen by itself through simply being aware of what's of what you're currently doing and maybe what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Yeah. So in in Gestalt terms, we don't actually ask people to try to change. We ask them simply to be aware of what they're doing and maybe what they're thinking mm. and what they're feeling. And the principle is that heightened awareness leads to change of itself without forcing it. Mm. And I think a great example of that is, you know, the New Year resolutions. <laughs> yeah. yeah and we we all do it. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go to the gym twice a week, every week. Yeah. That lasts until what, end of January. Yeah. You know, and so that's an example of when we try to change, then it it's our brain says, nah, we'll just go back to yeah. what it was. However, when we when we increase our awareness of what we're already doing, our brain seems to make a, a kind of a spontaneous change and incrementally start to do things different. So right. um, so an example of that might be um, so I had a chief executive uh one time when we were just talking about his impact on people and he essentially what he was doing he was coming into the office in the morning and he would go straight into his own office he kind of wouldn't speak to anybody he just uh, he was very very quiet man very introverted lovely person but he was just uh, so um he appreciated that the impact he would make by saying simply hello to people would be uh would be important in terms of how the impact he had on them. So, yeah, yeah. So rather than saying to him, "Okay, you know, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you will say hello," to, <laughs> you will say hello to the people in the corridor or in your, your office. So he simply said, um, "I'll just be aware of what I'm doing as I go to my office each day. So am I." speaking to people am i looking mm. in their direction okay. am i keeping my head down yeah. or so so just being aware mm. and as he did that awareness without asking him to change he noticed that he started to to nod to people and started to speak to people and that became a, a kind of a regular routine but the interesting thing was he never tried to do it he let his awareness do it for him. It it almost it almost sounds like how people uh, uh, explain and talk about mindfulness to a degree. Just being mindful with your behaviour, yeah. being mindful with your emotions. Just you know, and 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 again, it's it's been it's been it's been it's a very popular term now used ubiquitously to be mindful. But it's it's similar. It sounds in a similar sort of way, just to be more aware of what you're doing, whatever the context of the conversation is, just to be more aware of it, about how you're feeling, the impact you're having, the, the environment, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. And, and I, would, I would just say to, you know, if there's someone, whoever's listening to this podcast, mm. to try it out for themselves, if there's something that they want to change, to 
just to just be aware of what they're doing and just to notice as they do whatever it is, what 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 thoughts are running through their head. Yeah. And maybe what they're feeling. So they're just aware of what's happening in those moments. Yeah. And and do nothing else and see what happens. Brilliant. There you go, listeners. You've got some free coaching there from Tech. Absolutely. <laughs> There's another bit I would just like to say about Gestalt, which I think is very, very relevant. So there's that that, that in the present awareness is, is one aspect. The other aspect, <clears throat> which I think is um, important in Gestalt work, is that we as coaches very much bring ourselves to the work that we're doing with our client. Um, now, that maybe difference is different from other areas where you simply get the coachee to talk, to answer questions, etc. But in, in Gestalt, um, we very much bring ourselves. What I mean by that is um, I share with the client what, what I'm experiencing in that moment. Or if I have an intuition about something, mm. I will share that. So, so for example, uh, let, let me think of an example. Um, so a very a very simple one might be what I notice about the client. So if if the client is uh, talking about going for a new job, for example, mm. and <clears throat> as they talk about it, uh, their voice is maybe is slow, or and I, I notice they're looking out the window, or um, they maybe sort of sort of move their hands around or, or do something. So in Gestalt, I I would say, you know, when you talk about this new job, I notice that your your voice drops, mm. your shoulders drop. Yeah. You're looking outside the window, out of the window. So I wonder, does that does that mean anything to you? And sometimes the client will say, well, I didn't notice that. But mm. and as you as you leave it with them, say if I say if it has any meaning, say mm, I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe I'm not that enthusiastic about it. Mm. So by bringing myself to it, I'm I'm giving them something else to consider. Yeah. So I think that's an important one in Gestalt as well, and I feel that is so powerful. And is is that uh, is that an attempt uh, with that practice and that approach to tap into the unconscious? Is it, uh, it, it it is Stephen. Yeah. It's a very good way of putting it, mm. actually, because um, the 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 client's conscious mind isn't necessarily going to recognise that. Yeah. yeah. And as they tap into as you've described it, the unconscious mind, mm. that is adding more information to their to their conscious mind and their ability to think more clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice yeah. way of putting it. Mm. It's just it's just interesting the more you read about you know, I mean, we, we know more about brain function than we've ever known about, you know, at this point and, you know, our evolution and all the rest of it. And it's just Absolutely. really fascinating how that how powerful the unconscious mind is actually. Uh, and how big a part it plays and, and we have no idea <laughs> what's really going on in there uh, but it plays such a massive part in 
just how we get through the day, I guess, and, and how we develop and all that sort Very of stuff. Very much so. Mm. And neuroscience is now quite a, a, um, a, a discipline that is in, informing uh, yeah. coaching as, as we move forward. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it's a big interest of mine as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm asking you this question on behalf of anybody who's listening to this podcast who is is considering getting into the world of professional and executive coaching. Uh, you, you never know. I mean, your your route, which which started with redundancy, there might be a lot of people who are in a similar position at the moment who are through you know being forced to consider other options and mm-hmm. uh, have maybe thought about this, and this might be just the push mm-hmm. that they need. So, what would be your advice to anybody? For in any circumstance, I guess, who's just looking to get into the world of professional and executive coaching? I think, and, and I, as you can imagine, I do get asked this quite <clears throat> quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I usually start off with some some questions to really to understand what is the drive behind it. What what is it that they believe they will get from it? Yeah. Because it, you know, on the face of it, it. It looks a nice thing to do, you know, helping people leaders to do this, that, and the other. But it, so, so to check with them, what is it that they want to get from it? Yeah. Uh, and that could be enabling leaders to be better, or or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And then a second, a second question is to consider what what are all the ways that they would that they could fulfil that drive, because it may not. You know, there may be other ways that are, that appeal to them more. Maybe it's they 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 in a new role they start adopting a coaching style with their staff. Yeah. So, so it, it feels something's important to um, to help people explore that. I think another thing now that I I tend to consider, and it's only something I've kind of been able to articulate to myself recently, is is what stage people are at in terms of making a transition to the mindset mm. of coaching or executive coaching. Yeah. You know, people who have been in, in HR or L&D are probably in a much better, at, at a more advanced stage than I was when I started. And I think this was one of my, when I started, I was not in the mindset that I needed to be in and when I started, I did. I decided I'd get the best course I could do, and that would make me an executive coach. And it, and that was not not a good way to start, because I struggled with the course was just too much for me. Mm-hmm. So, so I I think it's really important for somebody to kind of check what stage they're at in terms of coaching as a way of of being. Yeah. Um, and and then um. For for them to look at well once they can once they kind of decide what they want to do and, and that's maybe a, if it's a business as well if they want to do it as a, a business how oriented are they to running this thing as a business yeah absolutely so so once that they can get all of these things sorted out then you know they can put together their uh, a way of, of doing it and that obviously I I think is the two there's three things. One is get the right course for you in training and um, get, I think now accreditation is so important, it's almost integral to executive coaching. You just won't get onto a a panel of an organisation if you don't have reasonable accreditation or reasonable evidence of training. So so training course, accreditation, 
practice, absolute, lots of practice and reflection um, and supervision, absolutely. Um, so, so those would be the sort of the three components that I would see as as, as a way to getting into the in into the work. I would I talk about rather than getting in necessarily to the profession. Ted, it's been a joy talking to you as always. Thank you very much for being so generous with your time and being on the podcast. My pleasure, and it's a pleasure to. I hope it's been interesting and useful to those who hear it. <laughs>